following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. The sermon this morning is a continuation of a sermon series entitled Living in the Vine, based upon Jesus' teaching where he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. This image says that we will find life-giving power in Christ. But if there is such power in Christ, there are also powers in this world that tear people down, powers that are destructive. The Apostle Paul talked about this in the passage we heard from Ephesians, where he said that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul was saying, that there are negative spiritual forces that often assail people in this world. That theme finds an expression in one of the common features of the Gospels that people often find puzzling whenever the Gospels talk about demons. We'll be looking at that whole idea of the demonic this morning. Let's be for a moment in a spirit of prayer. May the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. The idea of demon possession has provided a popular theme for Hollywood from time to time. I remember the movie The Exorcist, which came out decades ago, but which has left images etched in my mind. In the movie, a little girl is possessed by a demon. She begins shouting obscenities in a bizarre voice. She makes objects fly around the room. She spins her head around. She vomits slime into people's faces, all of which made for a memorable, if not terribly uplifting, movie. It is this kind of bizarre scenario that people often think of when they think of demon possession. And for this reason, we may have a hard time when we encounter the stories about demons in the New Testament, because the whole concept of demon possession is far removed from our normal daily experience. What we need to realize is that in New Testament days, in the first century in the ancient Near East, the idea of demons was a central part of how everyone understood the world. People thought of demons as malevolent spiritual entities which could enter your body and cause all sorts of afflictions, and thus a great many common maladies were explained as being caused by demons. If a person was mentally ill or was subject to having seizures, or sometimes when a person was blind or deaf or had serious headaches, this was said to be caused by demons. The treatment of choice for many troubles, therefore, was exorcism. Exorcists would typically try to drive the demons away through incantations or magical amulets, or sometimes, in extreme cases, they might even perform trepanning, which meant to bore a little hole in a person's head to let the demon out. They might have had holes in their head from our perspective and engaging this sort of thing, but, but what's important to understand is that to people at the time, all this made perfect sense. If you see a person having an epileptic seizure, 
It certainly looks as though some sort of foreign evil spirit has taken hold of the person's body. Or if you have ever witnessed a mentally ill person having a psychotic episode, it looks as though some strange spirit has gotten hold of the person's mind. Belief in demons was a natural way by which people in the first century understood the world around them. But should we, as contemporary Christians, be carrying the same ideas forward today? Some Christians take the approach that if first century Christians believed in demons, we need to believe in demons, they adopt the first century worldview as their own. We had a prominent example of that in our area, where, until his recent death, Ernest Angley would cast out demons during worship services. There are serious problems, however, with this approach. One major biblical issue is that in the Old Testament, demons are pretty much entirely absent from the whole story. They just suddenly appear in the New Testament story. That makes sense if demons are understood to be a part of the New Testament context, the way that people thought at the time. Another major issue with carrying forward ancient thinking about demons is that many of the maladies which first century people attributed to demons, such as epilepsy and mental illness, are actually due, we now know, to other causes. So what do we do with all the New Testament language about demons? Paul's teaching and the passage we heard from 2 Corinthians is helpful at this point. Paul wrote, it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in clay jars, so that it may be clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. In other words, the light of God's truth comes to us, and that truth is then received and held in clay jars, that is, in human beings who are fragile and impermanent. The clay jar will be imperfect and will ultimately crumble, but the light of God's truth continues. When it comes to biblical writings, the writers of the Gospels receive the truth of Jesus, and they then tell the story using their language, in this case Greek, and using their thought forms. Their first century language and their first century thought forms are the clay jars, the vessels that hold the eternal truths of Jesus. The language fades away. Nobody speaks Koine Greek, the language of the New Testament anymore, and the thought forms of the first century, a pre-scientific world, fade away, but the light and the truth of Jesus continue. When reading the Bible, therefore, we do not need to carry forward the first century language. We don't have to speak Greek, although scholars will use Greek to help us understand some passages. And especially, we do not have to carry forward the thought forms of the first century. In the first century, people thought that the sun went around the earth but we don't need to carry that idea into the present day. People thought that epilepsy was caused by demon possession, 
but today we don't need to try to treat epilepsy with exorcism. The clay jars of first century thinking have crumbled and we no longer explain physical, emotional, or mental maladies as being the work of demons. We can leave that thinking behind. What we carry forward is the core truth of God. Within all the New Testament language about the demonic and powers of evil, there is a major ongoing spiritual truth. It is that there are powerful negative forces at work in this world not material forces, but spiritual forces. And we will find deliverance from those destructive powers through Jesus Christ. One of the pervasive features of contemporary life is that people are frequently caught up in dreadful spiritual forces that are destructive to human life. In Russia today, many people are caught up and a hate-filled, violent nationalism, which moves them to support a brutal, totally evil war in Ukraine. Some Russians supporting the war even try to claim that the war is a holy Christian cause. This is a prime example of what theologians call demonic power, that people can become so caught up in forces of evil, that they are moved even to twist Christian faith to try to make it bless evil. But here in America, people also become swept up in powerful negative forces. Some people become caught up in hatred of other groups. People can become caught up in greed. In recent years, some people got swept up in investment crazes in which they were drawn into hysterical chases after dubious assets that were of no real value at all. In a completely different realm, we have a huge problem with people being caught up in drug addiction. Once caught, they're like the people described in the Gospels as being possessed by demons. They're completely unable to free themselves from the grip of the demon. Or people can become caught in psychological or emotional maladies, which may have both mental and physical aspects. In the gospel stories of demon possession, a common feature is that something terribly negative has an unyielding grip on a person and a hold on a person's mind. That condition persists today in many forms even as we do not use the language of demon possession. In all of the stories of demon possession, what is happening at bottom is that the person is in the grip of something that is tearing that person's life down. It is significant that in our passage, the demons are literally called unclean spirits. This does not mean that the demons need a shower. The word unclean refers to the fact that in Jewish practice, certain things were considered ritually clean, which meant that they were usable in worship, and certain things were ritually unclean, which meant that they could not be a part of temple worship. In other words, something that was unclean was something that would keep you away from God. To say then, that the man was possessed by an unclean spirit 
was to say that he was in the grip of a power that was pulling him away from the fullness of the life God intended for him. We're beginning to get to the heart of the matter. Demonic power is anything that disconnects you from the vine. You can choose to think of that demonic power as being carried out by personal demonic entities, or you can think of demonic power as the immaterial forces in this world that pull you away from the goodness of God. Either way, what the New Testament is pointing to is the fact that we can easily find ourselves in the grip of forces that are keeping us from wholeness of life and at the same time are far larger than our capacity to deal with. In the face of that reality, the constant New Testament message is that Jesus can free us from every form of destructive power. In the first story we heard from the Gospel of Mark, Jesus spoke the word and the unclean spirit was cast out of the man. In the second story, Jesus cast the demons out of the man in the tombs and in the aftermath, the man is described as being in his right mind. That is a poignant picture of what Christ does. Christ brings us into our right mind. Christ brings us to a wholeness of spirit so that we have the right perspective, the right outlook on life, and so that we can live in truly good and positive ways. You may note, of course, that when Jesus heals people like this, he speaks in the language of demon possession. And some people conclude on that basis that there must be demons in the sense of actual personal demonic entities since Jesus healed afflicted people by ordering the demons to come out. But another possibility is that Jesus was simply using the language of the time so as to talk and act in terms that people would understand. In the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's a story about an epileptic boy who was brought by his father to Jesus. The father explained that a demon seized his son from time to time and would convulse him uncontrollably. What if Jesus had said in response, oh no, he does not have a demon, he has epilepsy. It's a medical condition which is related to chemical imbalances and, and it's a, you know, the situation of the whole body's nervous system. The father would have stared at, the man, at Jesus as though he were from Mars. Jesus needed to act in terms that people would understand. In the case of the epileptic boy, Jesus ordered the demon to come out. The boy was healed. There are other cases in which Jesus healed people using techniques that they would understand. On one occasion, Jesus healed a blind man and in the process, he rubbed spit in the man's eyes because in the first century, people believed that spittle had healing properties. I mean, you know what you do when you hurt your finger, stick it in your mouth. But of course, we do not need to believe that spit really heals blindness, nor do we have to believe that demons are responsible for epilepsy or other illnesses. We can believe rather that Jesus, in divine wisdom, was acting and speaking in terms that people in that day would understand. 
This means that on a biblical basis, the question as to how we rightfully visualize demonic power remains open to interpretation. You can think of the demonic in terms of personal spiritual beings or in terms of impersonal spiritual forces. But however you visualize it, the truth coming through in the New Testament is that we will never vanquish the greatest evils on our own. We need the delivering power of Christ. The good news is that that power is at hand. But there is something that can keep us from experiencing the liberating power of Christ, and that becomes evident, especially in the story that we heard about the man in the tombs. In that account, there was a very disturbed man living in a cemetery. The gospel reports that night and day among the tombs, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. The townspeople had tried to restrain him with shackles and chains, but he, the chains he wrenched apart, the gospel reports, and the shackles he broke in pieces. Finally, of course, Jesus healed the man. You would think that the townspeople at that point would be overjoyed but they were not. They asked Jesus to leave their neighborhood. Why? It had to do with the pigs. In the process of Jesus healing the man, a large herd of pigs, 2,000, went tumbling over a cliff, or literally a very steep bank, and drowned in the sea. You can see the place where this happened to this day. Along the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, in an area that at the time was called the Decapolis, there are very steep, high slopes running down to the lake. Modern commentators suggest that in all the commotion of the demoniac encountering Jesus, the herd of pigs was spooked and bolted and went over the edge. The interpretation given in the Gospel account, of course, is in the language and thinking of that day, with the idea that the evil spirits came out of the man and went into the pigs. But the townspeople were not worried about theological interpretations of the event. To them, there was one bottom line. They owned the pigs, and they were not at all happy that they had just suffered a major financial loss. So the savior of the world was among them, indeed marvelously among them, for they were Gentiles, they had pigs, but they sent him away because they were worried about their bank accounts. At bottom, it is our human sinfulness, our misplaced and twisted values, the hardness of our heart against God that keeps us from experiencing the delivering power of Christ. We need to turn afresh to Christ in repentance and faith, opening ourselves to the power and the guidance of Christ so that Christ can free us from all that would keep us in chains. At the end of the story in Mark chapter 1, after Jesus healed the man with the unclean spirit in the synagogue, the people, the gospel says, were amazed. 
they had been accustomed to rabbis in the synagogue who, who offered wise teachings and good advice. What they saw in Jesus was something far more. Christ came with a spiritual power, the power to deliver us from every form of bondage, the power to bring even the most tormented people out of anguish and into their right mind. It is the power to bring us into harmony with God so that we can live and flourish in the vine. Let us pray. O Lord, we find ourselves in a world today that is full of evil powers, but we know that you are reaching to us with far greater power, the power to set us free, to release us from all those chains, every form of bondage that would hold us down, the power to bring us into fullness of life with you and into the promise of life everlasting. Inspire us, Lord, to open our hearts to you in faith so that your redeeming power can flow through us and so that we can be joined then, O Lord, with you, connected to the vine, that we may flourish and reach out in sharing your love with all. We thank you that you draw us into the life of your church. And we do reach out to people in times of particular need, praying for those who are sick, especially this morning for Tim Smith, Greg Curtin, and Davina Gosnell, and praying for those who are mourning, continuing to remember the family and friends of Brad Dickerson. We thank you for our broader church family and lift up our fellow United Mothers of the Mogador United Mothers Church, and we thank you for how we can reach out into a hurting world today, especially through agencies in which we join together to work through UMCOR, United Mothers Committee on Relief, so that we can indeed be hands of, of your help in our time. Lead us, O Lord, as we would recognize your wondrous saving power as we put our faith in you, as we open our hearts to the wonder of your grace, and as we are joined then, O Lord, in following you in faith and reaching out with your love and your good news to all the world. All those who pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.org.